to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're tuned in this morning. Well, what a beautiful morning to be in Durango, Colorado. I'm so glad that you're listening to The God Solution today. I thought we would talk today about the gospel. Every week, I talk about reasons to believe and why we can confidently believe in the message of the Bible. I talk about the evidence for the Christian faith. We talk about science. We talk about history. We talk about philosophy. We talk about all these different aspects of knowledge and how the evidence from all these different areas, whether it be the history or the science or the logic and philosophy, you name it, how they all come together and I think really support the Christian worldview in so many different ways, whether we're talking about the reliability of the Bible, whether we're talking about the historicity of Jesus Christ, whether we're talking about fulfilled prophecy. (laughs) There are thousands of prophecy in Scripture. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds have been fulfilled. Over 100 with Jesus Christ alone, more being fulfilled around us even today as we look at some of the different news items in the Middle East. But anyway, all that being said, the reliability of the Bible is bulletproof. It's unbelievably accurate. It's unshakable. And throughout history, so many people have tried to attack the reliability of Scripture, and they've failed. Now, what does all that mean? I talked a few weeks ago about why do apologetics. That was the title of the show, and I talked about the reliability of the Bible and all this. And then I talked about the reasons for doing apologetics. I talked about how it's important as far as sharing the good news that Jesus offers people and defending that and giving answers to people that have good questions. I talked about how apologetics is a great field of study for Christians who encounter doubt. And of course, I mentioned that doubt is something that everybody deals with, whether you're an atheist doubting your atheism, whether you're a secularist doubting your secular ideas, whether you're a Buddhist doubting whether or not Buddhism is really true, or whether you're a Christian that has occasional doubts about that. C.S. Lewis said that as an atheist, he had very many nights where he lied awake doubting the whole thing. But he also noticed that as a Christian, he had very few nights like that. And I think that's really the case. So everybody deals with doubt, and I think apologetics is a a great field of study so that people that deal with doubts can actually have good answers to their doubt. In fact, doubt isn't bad. I think doubt is like the weight that pulls your arm down, and then as you pull that weight back up, your faith grows. So doubt often is the impetus for growing faith, which is a good thing. So I talked about how apologetics is a great field of study for uh, non-believers who are interested in evidence for Christianity, for believers who are encountering doubt themselves, and also for believers who wish to share the good news of the gospel to be able to share it with tact, but also with intelligence, not just speaking based on emotions. So those are some reasons that I shared a few weeks ago. But all that presupposed the importance of the gospel. I don't know if you caught that. I talked about those that are searching for the good news of Jesus Christ or those that are sharing it. Either way, it's important. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, I think it would be important to talk about that today because so often we talk about the gospel or things like that and we don't define them. I think it's important to take some time and to define the gospel. And this is actually the cornerstone of this show. In fact, if there was no good news to share with you, I wouldn't care so much whether we had evidence for insignificant news. 
I think it's so important that we have evidence for this because it's the greatest news that's ever been told. And that's what gospel literally means, is good news. And today, it would be good to share that good news with you and to define what the gospel is. Once, there was an atheist that I was debating on campus here, and the debates were pretty lively. Some of you may have remembered those. And after the debate, he told me, I just don't understand what the message of Christianity is. I've talked to so many Christians, and I've heard so many different things, but I've never heard one straight message. I thought that surely is unfortunate, and he was definitely not wrong, because surveying the Christian landscape in America today, you might think that the message of Christ is prosperity. If you look at some of the televangelists, you might think that the whole message of Christianity is to be wealthy. Uh, That's not the case. You might also survey the landscape of Christianity and find many other different voices. You might find that Christianity is all about a crazy experience. You probably are familiar with the different televangelists that have people shaking and flopping on the floors. I think that most of that is showmanship, which is kind of the antithesis of Christianity and the humility that God calls us to and the peace and fruit of the Spirit that he says will be present in believers' lives. But as you survey the landscape of Christianity, you might be just like that atheist. What is the real message of Christianity? What is this good news that Christians always talk about? So let's talk about that today. Let's clarify definitions. Let's explain what the gospel really is. In fact, this is the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth. So why not clearly describe what it is that Christianity really focuses on. You could maybe read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a good book that kind of crystallizes the central beliefs of Christianity. It gets away from all the different side issues. So today I kind of want to do that kind of approach, but even more basic. I really just want to talk about the most fundamental issue of Christianity. Now, This might be familiar to you if you listen to the show every week. I try to close out the show with a short summary of the gospel. What did Jesus really teach? But I think it would be important today to actually go into a lot more depth about it. Now, what triggered this? About a week ago, I was sitting in a hot tub in Colorado Springs at a hotel with my wife and kids, and some other people jumped in the hot tub with us, and I began talking to these two guys that were in the hot tub, And as I talked about Jesus Christ and things like this, and they were there for a pretty hard situation, something that brought up all those existential questions that we can't help but ask. Why am I here? How should I live? What's my purpose in life? Where am I going after I die? Is there life after death? Things like that. They were kind of in the midst of asking those questions because of the event they are dealing with. Anyway, as I talked, I I asked these two young men, Do you know what the real meaning of Christianity is? What the real message of Christianity is? Do you know what Jesus really conveyed? Not all the churchy stuff that you see or hear on TV or wherever else, but the true core message of Christianity. And they said, no, we don't. And as I shared that message with them, one of them said, I want to respond to that message. I want to make a decision to follow Christ. The other one said he tried that, and found that it was too difficult or not realistic in his mind. And I encouraged him to get into some good fellowship and get some 
people that could help him grow. And if you're listening today, I hope that you're taking those steps. Either way, it hit me. So many people that have experienced a lot of Christianity have yet to really understand what Jesus's core message is. So let's talk about it. You could kind of boil down the gospel. Again, the gospel really just means good news. That's the word in the Greek. It literally just meant good news. And so the good news that Christians talk about, the true message of Christianity, really boils down to four main points. And I think if you remember these four main points, you'll really remember the core issues with Christianity, the core message of Jesus Christ. So the first of those, the first most important, I think, of those is God's love for you. Now, Jesus, when he shared that good news, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You might recognize that as John 3.16, the verse that you see oftentimes at football games and things like that. But the reality is that that very famous verse really is the gospel. It's the good news, and it's the good news from Jesus' own mouth. He said that God so loved the world... So he began his gospel message with God's love, and I think we should too. The reality is not that God hates you or not that God doesn't like you. I remember I was talking to somebody once about Jesus, and the man told me, man, God is ticked with me right now. He's ticked with me. He hates me. And I said, God does not hate you. But he could not believe that God didn't hate him because of some of the things that he'd done. So the reality is that God does not hate you. He does not dislike you. He's not against you. Even if your sins or choices or decisions or behaviors have been things that you're ashamed of or things that you know in your heart would not make God happy, God does not see you as defined by those things. So God doesn't look at somebody that has lied and say that that person is only a liar. He sees that person as a sinner that desperately needs him, but someone he loves and desires to be in relationship with. So Jesus began the message of the gospel, his gospel message, with the first point of God's love. And I want to begin there today too. God really does love you. You could look throughout the Bible at all the different aspects we see of God's love for his people, but I think it really starts with his own nature. The Bible tells us that God is love. There's no other religion that's ever existed in human history that defined God as love. But the Bible does define God as love. So why does God love us? Well, he, in his own nature, is love, true love. I'm not saying the fuzzy feeling that you feel when you watch a chick flick. (laughs) I'm saying he is real love. And the word that The Bible uses for love is agape in the Greek, and it literally means selfless, unconditional love. It means putting another person's good above your own, and that's how God loves us, and that's how God defines himself, perfect, unselfish, selfless love. That's who God is, and that's how God loves you. Now, if you continue to look through Scripture, you'll see these amazing, amazing, amazing references throughout Scripture that describe God's love for us. Whether we hear that God has loved us with an everlasting love, like we read in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, imagine that, an everlasting love, that God has loved you since before time began, and he loves you as much today as ever before. 
God loves you with an everlasting love. The Bible tells us that God loved us with a sacrificial love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he says immediately, and I've called you my friends. And he went on to lay down his life for us. So he's loved us with a sacrificial love. He loves each and every one of us. And I want to be careful not to just say he loves us or he loves mankind or human beings or people or the world. He loves you individually. In fact, the Bible says that before you were even born, when you you were yet in your mother's womb, God loved you and he already had a plan for you and he was already knitting you together for a purpose. He already had incredible thoughts towards you, it says in Psalm 139, that same passage, that his thoughts for you outnumber the sand of the sea. Now imagine that. When you love someone, you think about them and The more you love them, the more you think about them, the more you talk about them. The Bible said God's thoughts about you outnumber the sand of the seas. Think of how many grains of sand there are in all the seas and all the beaches around all the oceans on this planet. And God's thoughts for you outnumber the number of grains of sand on all these beaches throughout the world. So he really loves you. And it doesn't just end there. I mentioned a minute ago the purpose he has for you. He loves you. He desires good for you. And he has good plans for you. He has a good purpose for you. You're not here in vain. There's a reason for your existence. And that is really good news for so many people that think that they're just taking up space and making it another day just so that they can arrive at the grave and be done with it all. That's pretty bad news. Well, God says it's not that way. He has a purpose for you. There's meaning in your life, and he desires that you be in relationship with him. So God loves you with this everlasting love. He created you for a purpose, and that purpose begins in relationship with him. If we go back to the beginning of creation, God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden, And he put them there to be in relationship, intimate relationship with himself, where every single day they walked with him and talked with him. God didn't just design us to exist. He designed us to be in intimate relationship and fellowship with him. That's God's plan. That's really good news. That's the beginning of the gospel. Unfortunately, this good news has a really, really bad twist And here's the bad twist. The twist is that each of us are sinful. We made our own choice to sin. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and were kicked out of the garden because a perfect God cannot be with imperfect people. See, sin always separates friends. Selfishness always separates friends. If your best friend cussed you out and punched you in the nose, you probably wouldn't spend much time with them the next day. Because their selfishness would separate you as friends. Now, it's been the same way with us and God. We each desire to do our own thing. We each go our own way. We each defy God on a daily basis. And we each fail to live up to the standard of who God is. He's perfectly loving. I'm not. He's selfless. I'm selfish. He is generous. I'm not. He thinks no wrong, I think wrong all the time. He thinks only of others as good, I don't. I often think of my own good. See, I'm imperfect, and that imperfection keeps me 
from the loving relationship with God that I was created for. And that's really sad. And the Bible doesn't even just leave it there. It tells me the reality that left unchecked, I would be separated from God for all of eternity. That's horrible news. In fact, the Bible says that we are eternal beings and that we will live forever and that if we don't have a relationship with God, we will live forever separated from him. That's horrible news. So in our sin, we're separated from God and left unchecked, we'd be separated forever in what the Bible calls hell. So as a side note, what is hell? The Bible says it's going to be a very bad place, that it will be a place of fire, that it will be a place of torment, not because God derives some narcissistic pleasure from punishing people with suffering, but because we will be separated forever from his presence. So think about everything good that you experience around you. The Bible says that God's invisible attributes are clearly portrayed in the world around you. So whether it's the love of a loved one or the warmth of the sun or the taste of a delicious pastry or coffee, if you're a coffee fanatic like me, all those things that we love and enjoy about life are attributes of God's very nature. Even the perverse things that people enjoy are just perversions of the good desires that God's given them. So separated from God, we would be separated eternally from any good attribute of his nature. And that would seriously be the most tormenting thing imaginable. That is what the Bible calls hell, eternal separation from God. And that would be unbearable beyond anything that you could fathom. So that's not good news. In fact, I shared this with somebody one time and they said, if that's true, why are you Christians always smiling? Why are you so happy if that's true? Well, it's true because it doesn't end there. The good news gets even better. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. I'm Nate Herbst and I'm so glad that you're listening this morning. We are talking about the gospel and what it means. We talk every week about the evidence for faith in Jesus Christ and the reasons to believe in Jesus Christ and things like that. But sometimes people get hung up on what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What is the message that Christ taught? So I'm recapping that this morning, talking about the meaning of the gospel. I talked about how the gospel literally means the good news. We talked about how that can be summarized in the four biggest points of the Bible. The first of those, which we already discussed, is that God loves you. The Bible says he actually loves you with an everlasting love, with a sacrificial love, with an unending love that puts you first over even himself. The Bible also says, though, that even though you are created to experience that love in an intimate relationship with God, you and I are separated from God because of our sin, and that left unchecked, we would be separated from, from him forever in what the Bible calls hell. That's horrible news. That's what we've talked about so far. It gets really good, though. The Bible says that God literally loved you so much that he became a man. God in human flesh, he dwelt among us. He lived here on this earth. There's no other religion that has such a view of God being willing to humble himself to relate to you on your level and not just to relate to you on your level, 
but to come in and pay the price that you could never pay on your own. So imagine you were convicted of a horrible crime, and the conviction was more than you could ever afford. It was your very life, and for this crime, you would be put to death. You have nothing that you could possibly do to get out of the punishment of that crime. Your life is literally required of you as payment for what you had done. That is literally where each of us are as human beings. We're dead in our sins, the Bible says, and that we're separated from God, and that the punishment for our sins is death. That is a horrible, horrible place to be. Fortunately, the Bible says that God himself met us on our level, humbled himself becoming a man, living as a human being on this planet, but not just living here. He literally took all of our sin upon himself, the Bible says, and he died the most horrible death that's ever been, and he did that for you and me. He died on the cross in an incredibly painful and agonizing way, and beyond the physical pain, he was separated from his father because of our sins, and in that place, he paid for our sin. See, you could never pay for somebody else's sin, and I could never pay for your sin because I have my own sin to deal with. I'm accountable for my own wrongs, my own selfishness, my own imperfection. Fortunately, God, who's perfect, is the only one who's able to pay for my imperfection, and he did that for me. What an incredible demonstration of that love that we talked about previously, that selfless, sacrificial love that God demonstrates and that actually defines his very nature. He did that for us. What incredible good news. I was condemned to eternal death and separation from God, yet God himself became a man and died on the cross in my place so that I would not have to be separated from him eternally. Now that's really, really, really good news because now I can be in relationship with God, looking forward to an eternity with him, not based on my imperfection or my daily performance, but based on something that he already accomplished. So it's a done deal. There's nothing left for me to pay. It's finished. Jesus even said that on the cross. What's incredible about this good news is you never hear anything like this anywhere else. Any other religion that you could ever encounter, ever study, says that you achieve salvation or that religion's version of salvation, whatever it might be, through your own works, through your own agonizing, through your own suffering, through your own trials. You do it on your own in those other religions, and you never can do it on your own. History tells us that no matter how good we try to be, we always fail to meet even our own standards and expectations, much less God's perfect standards and expectations. So here in Christianity, we have really the most unique thing in the history of the world. God himself dies for you, a human being, to pay a debt that you could never pay so that he could be in relationship with you for all of eternity. Incredible news. You never have to do anything more than, than begin that relationship with him. And that's the fourth point of the gospel. That is that each one of us has to decide whether or not we will receive the gift that he gives us. See, if you come to my birthday, and it was my birthday yesterday. If you would have come to my birthday and said, Nate, I have a gift for you. I want to give you this present. If I said, take your present and get out of my house, it would not be my present. 
to own the present, I actually have to receive the present that you offer me. Now, it's the same thing with us and God. So God loves us, and because he loves us, he won't violate our free will. So he loves us, and we're sinful and separated from him and from the relationship with him that we were created for. But because he loves us, he died for our sins, paying the price that we could never pay on our own. And because he loves us, he offers us complete forgiveness, complete payment for all of our sins, so that anyone who begins that relationship with him can have an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and purpose in relationship with him here on this planet. That's really good news, and it's all because he loves us. But also because he loves us, he doesn't force us to take that step. It always hurts me when people say, I grew up in church, but Christianity was always forced down my throat. Now, I don't like that statement for two different reasons. One, it really troubles me that people are forcing Christianity down people's throats because the whole message of the gospel is that this is a choice that you make between you and God. Now, when we look at extreme Islamic faiths in the Middle East right now, like the ISIS group taking over Iraq, either you convert or you're beheaded. In fact, I read on the news today that they're beheading Christian children in Iraq right now. That's horrible, but that's the reality of many other religions. With Christianity, there's nothing like that. This is your personal choice between you and God. So God loves you so much that he leaves the ball in your court and says, will you choose to accept the gift that I offer? Will you receive the gift that I offer? Now, the Bible says to those that received him, he's given the right to become children of God. So if you simply receive the gift that he offers, you are made at that very instant his child. You're adopted into his family. You're forgiven for all your past sins. You're guaranteed an eternity with him to look forward to. Again, not based on your own performance, but based on what he already accomplished at the cross. So there's kind of the gospel in a short synopsis. The first main point, God loves you because God is love. And he created you to be in intimate fellowship and relationship with him. Unfortunately, you and I do our own thing. The Bible calls that rebellion. We don't do it God's way. We do it our way. In fact, we don't like to be told what to do. That's because we're sinful and selfish. And that very sin separates us eternally from God. Fortunately, God, who is the only one who is perfect, came and died the death that we deserved, was separated even from his father as we deserve to be for all of eternity. And he did it on our behalf to pay the price that we could never pay so that we could be forgiven. And then he gives us that as a gift and says, will you take it or not? And I love you so much, I won't force you to take it. But I love you so much that I'll present you with the option. And that's what he just did. He gave you that option. If you listen to this show, you just heard the message of Jesus Christ. He's offering you that right now. Do you want to put your trust in him this morning to accept the gift that he offers? Again, this show goes through the evidence for that week after week after week. It's strong. It's compelling. And in fact, I don't think anything in the rest of the world even compares. But the reality is that it comes down to a personal decision. This is very good news. The gospel is truly good news. But it's news that I must actually act on. Will I actually receive that gift that he offers? If you are saying, yes, I want to do that this morning, I want to put my faith and my trust in Christ, 
receiving the gift that he offers, you can do that right now by faith through prayer. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. I ask you to forgive my sins, to come into my life, to make me the kind of person you want me to be, and to be my Savior and my Lord. The Bible says if you just took that step, that you're his child now. And it actually says that there's a party going on in heaven right now with God and all the angels celebrating the fact that you just entered his family. I hope that you made that decision this morning if you haven't already. I guarantee you it's the greatest decision of your life. And it also is a decision that should be followed up quickly with other good decisions, like the decision to plug into a local church. Now, no church is perfect, but the churches that you'll find listed at GodSolutionShow.com are churches that I know will be there to encourage you in your walk with God. So go to GodSolutionShow.com and check out our list of churches and visit one this morning. While you're there, leave us your comments about the show. I'd love to know what you think. Well, like I always say on this show, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. The evidence is there, whether you're looking at that from any different area. And the reality is, this is the best news that's ever been told. It truly is the good news. Thanks so much for listening this morning. Have a great Sunday afternoon.